You're listening to the Build Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports Network. Midco SN, proud to be your television home for live coverage of UND Athletics, the Summit League, the NCHC, the NSIC, and high school coverage throughout North and South Dakota, plus award-winning original programs like Midco Sports Magazine and Midco Sports Tonight. Midco Sports Network, this is how we do sports, and this is the Build Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bill Chaves Podcast, episode two, which we're taping on a Tuesday afternoon, August the 14th, the dog days of summer, Bill Chaves. We are, we're here. It's wrapping up. We're knee deep. The we're knee deep, aren't we? <laughs> we really are. I mean, that's fall is touching distance away. The heat is here, all that, all that junk. If you talk probably football-centric right now, we're right halfway And that becomes really, you know, I think the coaches get challenged a little bit to try to make sure that the the team stays as fresh as they can stay. And it can get, you know, uh, it it feels like Groundhog Day for them a little bit. And it's been hot. Uh, so in, to some degree, the heat probably helps knowing that game three, uh, is in, uh, you know, down in Huntsville, Texas. So, uh, that probably is not the worst in, in some ways. Yeah, so good, good preparation for yep. what's coming against no doubt. Uh, a Sam Houston state team that was picked fourth in the country in, in the, the most recent NCAA coaches poll. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about football. We, we're going to talk fall sports here pretty soon. A lot yep. of good stuff to get to as we come along. Uh, we should mention again, this episode two of the Bill Chaves podcast. If you listen to the first one, thank you. Uh, Bill, any feedback that you get? They brought us back for for a second episode, so that's good. That's a good start. You know who they would really tell is David, because at the end of the day, they'll never probably tell me or you. You know, every, it's all great, right? It's all good. It's all great, but they'll tell you know the producer of it would be my guess. Bill referencing yeah, podcast producer extraordinaire David Folsky, who who again made a, a brilliant guest appearance on episode one. Did well. Uh, in trying to just learn a little bit more about his boss, athletics director Bill James. <laughs> uh, it's uh, <laughs> David had told us before this that maybe he's going to take just move back into that producer role and not be a game show contestant over the course of this episode. But we'll see for future references. Maybe maybe we'll pull him back in. But That's right. But this one, it sounds like it's just you and I. We'll we'll make do. We'll we'll find a way. Um, any positive? Any? I, by the way, I heard one of my friends listen to it and said, you know, I came for the soccer talk and I stayed for the UND stuff. So he was looking for the B side Ooh. more so than the A side. Maybe sometimes a podcast. Maybe you could flip it if you want to. <laughs> at sometimes, maybe we can get creative just, in that regard. Just to mix it up. Well, we'll see. So, but uh, we're excited to be back. Last week was a lot of fun. This week again, taping on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. Uh, and, and we mentioned again, middle of August right now. Fall camp for football, you know, second week of fall practice for volleyball. Soccer's already playing exhibition games. Fall sports are really getting into full swing. But there's still a lot to look over over the course of the summer. And before we get to some of those fall things, it was a big summer in the NCAA, Bill. There were a lot of big rulings that went down on a variety of sports that you want to touch on. Let's let's just kind of get into it. What do you think? What was the biggest change, big rule change in the NCAA that's going to have the biggest effect on college athletics for this coming year? So let's go governance, right? So the governance side of life, um, you've got the board of directors, which is made up of a number of presidents throughout the country. And off of that, you have a President's Advisory Group, PAG, if you will. So there's a whole nother group of presidents that's rep. Each conference is represented. Each There's a president per conference on the PAG, but not necessarily the board of directors. Then underneath the board of directors is a division one council. And there's about 40 members on there that meet four times a year. And there's seven subcommittees underneath the council. 
And from there, that's kind of how the sausage is made. Mm. That's how rules get into play. And so what ends up happening is you have from, let's just say, September to November, December, to put things in the legislative cycle. It eventually gets voted on in April. But just to make things interesting, the Power Five kind of has their own process as well. So there's sometimes autonomy bucket items, and then there's bigger picture all group items. So just me being able to say all that, I mean, I'm just, I might need to just retire at this stage (laughs) of the game. So, you know, once you kind of get it figured out, they kind of change it up on you. And so, uh, so what's happened is in April, a number of things occurred. But the one thing that came out of the Division I council meeting that kind of caught me by surprise, caught, I think, a number of people by surprise, because it came through the football oversight committee, was this concept of if you're going to redshirt, you potentially can still play four games. And those four games, Alex, can be at any point in time during the year, which I'll be honest with you. I think it's probably a really good rule, especially given that sport and given what we've seen over the course of time. But um, I could also see other sports kind of coming in line and asking, what about us? Um, And uh, I think the coaches have to kind of think through how they're going to use this because, you know, what's kind of interesting is that you can you can suit more more students, student athletes team up at home. Yeah. versus the road. And so it kind of gives you an interesting, I, I don't even say unfair advantage. It's just, it's an interesting dynamic because sometimes having too many on the sidelines, maybe not great either. <laughs> so, so all that to be said, I think our coaches are kind of working through this at this point in time. But what's cool about it is if you know you're going to be coming in, you're potentially redshirting, you still might be playing and Mm -hmm. you never know when that's going to be so that kind of gives you that edge when you're coming in yeah i think if you're a und fan that's probably the rule that maybe has the biggest impact at least in the in the the present day like right now we're going to see people freshman kids that have come in that are true freshmen there's that in years past you always had those those times when okay is this is this going to be a kid who's going to play this year or is he going to redshirt now the opportunity is going to be there the entire season. And yep. like you said, someone could play game one and then wait a couple games and play game four if the matchup dictates and then wait a couple games, play game eight. And then if someone gets hurt, you finish out the season and you can still conserve that year of eligibility. That whole concept of getting four seasons of play in five years now has sort of been changed a little bit. Yeah, it, it, well, and you know, I, I think even, so we'll probably maybe segue into the transfer rules at sure. some point in time. But I think this is... I think coaches, programs have to decide on when is it appropriate to play a true freshman. And sometimes you have, as long as I think there's always going to be a gap between wherever, um, depending on what sport it is, you know, whether it be club, high school, whatever it might be, there's going to be obviously a gap between where you were in playing Division One athletics. But some, some of our, uh, you know, recruits come in and they're physically ready. And depending on the position they play, sometimes they can just go after it right at that point in time. And so uh, I know last year, probably if this rule was in place right now, it probably would have been helpful. Um, yeah, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. I think that's for this UND team last season that was so decimated by injuries at one point of the of the two deep roster. So 44 guys on your two deep between offense and defense, 22 of those guys were out. 
So half of your two deep was sidelines because of injuries. There were a number of freshmen who, uh, some of which were on that two deep that had got injured and obviously had to sit out the rest of the season because there was no point in playing them. But a number of freshmen would have been able to contribute, would have been able to step in, fill some reps, given the coaching staff more flexibility. No doubt. And under these rules, then still maintain their eligibility for next season. Yeah. Football is such a violent sport. It's a physical sport, and, and the attrition levels are really, really high over the course of the season. And this just makes sense. You get to expand the amount of people you can use to help keep those guys fresh and healthy and make I, this product quality. I think so. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, I think it gives you the ability for – whomever does have a nick or, or an injury, it, it could be one extra week of rest or it might be cleared, but you know what? It just might make more sense to take one more week off. And as we've seen, right, sometimes a week can make a world of difference in that sport because technically you're getting really two weeks. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's good. I, I'll be, I'll be interested as we, you know, in practicality, as it occurs, it'll be interesting how it plays itself out. One of the other things that Bubba Schweigert has talked about is that this is, and obviously we don't see it now because it's only week three of, of fall camp, but over the course of time, you know, if, if you know you're being redshirted as a freshman, it's a little bit easier to check out once maybe late October. No it's, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not playing. The things that I'm learning right now might not carry over into next season. Now, though, you still have a great opportunity to try and earn a spot, to try and earn playing time all the way through the year because you can get thrust out there at any time, no matter what the team's record is, no matter what the situation is. That's got to be really helpful, I think, for these kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, and if you're a playoff team and let's just say you are heading into the playoffs and something happens with, you know, a particular position, you know, all of a sudden you you might be playing, you might find yourself in the biggest game of uh, your life, literally, because in ultimately um, you haven't played yet. And so you have to stay sharp. The other thing I think it does help is I think it keeps you sharp academically too, because uh, I I think it it puts, it puts the, um, uh, again, it it gives our student athletes an edge to have to come in every day prepared and not that they wouldn't from a red shirting standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the misconception about red shirts have always been, well, I'm red shirting. No, you're red shirting until the end of the year occurs. That's when you're red shirting. So you can say you're red shirting, but it doesn't actually happen until the year year ends. And so with all that to be said though, if you have that mentality, that red shirt mentality, some handle it better than others. Right. And uh, and in this case scenario, now all of a sudden, in a sense, no one's redshirting, and so that's a different uh, that's a different perspective. Really changes changes the dynamic. It does. That's, one last thought on this, and Tom Miller of the Grand Forks Herald brought this up. Had this rule been in place four years ago, mm-hmm. North Dakota had the same situation. End of the season, had to pull the redshirt on Keaton Studzard for the final four games of the year. Yep. Played four games at quarterback when because of injury. And if this rule had been in place, he'd be still the starting quarterback this season. We wouldn't have this three-headed quarterback race. He'd be coming back for his redshirt senior year instead of being done last season. So close. Close. Would would have been nice. Would have been nice to have number seven back. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I saw Keaton at a golf tournament. I said, we could probably put in for a waiver, you know, (laughs) but I mean, I'm not sure the retro piece was going to work, you know, but try and grandfather him in. Yeah, (laughs) probably not going to work. Probably not not work. But I, you know, I, I, I still think uh, it's a, it's a really good uh, attempt, if you will. That's what I'll say to, to alter what has gone on previously. And I think this, you know, a lot of times folks want 
rules to be perfect, there's going to be no perfect rule. And so, uh, you know, it, there's going to be times where, you know, you're better off being better than what you were. And I think that's what we're talking about with the transfer rules. I mean, right. I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure you'll ever get to a place where people are going to say, oh, that's perfect. Um, but I think what we're trying to do right now is make it more realistic as to what actually transpires right now. And what was weird before was kind of that whole asking of permission. Right. It, that just seemed a little weird to me. And it's like, you know, you're, if, if nine and a half out of 10 times, if a student athlete came in, they had already in their mind thought through the fact that they're going to transfer. So then to kind of have to ask for it seemed a little odd. And so this way it puts some onus now on the student athlete, but it also, there's some repercussions too. Right. Explain, explain those really quick. Just kind of explain that, that rule change that came down where now the student athlete does not have to ask permission to transfer schools. Just kind of talk yeah, through the, the, you the know, logistics. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty simple actually. Um, so now a student athlete can come in and let us know that they have an intent to want to transfer. And if that's the case, the NCAA has now put together a database that the student athlete would be a part of. But the, 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 the flip of that coin is, if you do go onto that database at the end of the term, institutionally, programmatically, we could decide that we're going to take your aid and give it to Johnny now or, or, or Jenny, and, and as opposed to giving it to you who's intending to transfer. Now, I will say this. There's some pieces to all that because we still are monitored by certain academic requirements, and there's some things, and each case will be its own. Each, it'll be a case-by-case -case basis. So, you know, sometimes I'll have sometimes a student athlete say, well, this did this happened this way and not that way. Yeah, every case has a little bit of peculiarity to it. So, um, so with all that to be said, that's kind of in play. That's what came about um, at this point. There were some pieces of, like, for lack of a better term, tampering. If, if you tamper, they, they, there was an accelerated um, initial... Um, violation as to what that would be. Um, still kind of hard to verify tampering. It's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, and then I think, you know, the other piece that really hasn't been touched right now still is kind of the graduate space. And I think, I think so there's a group that's uh, together right now, a committee that's still trying to figure that out as well. And they, they wanted to kind of attack this part of it first kind of that permission to contact because that got always a little um weird i'll say <laughs> about that for a nice specific uh terminology it just got weird and, and so uh so i think the graduate space needs to be um approached um discussed i think initially it was for all the right reasons and i'm not suggesting that maybe it's not still the right thing to do I, actually where i've landed <laughs> in life right now is if you have broken the tape if you've gotten your, grad, your, your undergraduate degree, you've actually gone 26.2 miles, not 26 miles. Actually, you have to go the point two as well. Once you've gone, you've gone the point two, I think you're open to go do what you got to do, but only when you've graduated. That, that's just my tweak to it. That's my Chaves tweak. At some stage of the game, I would love for, for us to get to that point, and we're not there yet um, from a... From a um, uh, you know, from uh, a landscape standpoint, and we need to get there, uh, I, I believe. And so I keep beating that drum. And so we'll see what ends up happening. Yeah. And that's the graduate transfer rule has really become so much more prominent just even in the last 
three or four years. It used to be sort of a, at least from my perspective, from a national landscape, that was a little bit rare when you'd see someone finish up in one school, get done because of a redshirt year, maybe a year early and then go play someplace else. And now it feels like, especially at the mid-major level, it's almost an opportunity for Power 5 programs, either in football or basketball or whatever, to kind of pick off. So I, I just think about the Summit League this year, we think Gino Crandall from UND moving on to Gonzaga as a graduate transfer. Matt Mooney, who was a, a Player of the Year candidate from South Dakota, moving on to Texas Tech as a graduate transfer. You saw that in the Big Sky last year. A lot of, lot of Randy Onwasser from Southern Utah had a great season left to go to LSU as a grad transfer. It feels a little more now, maybe it's because of the world we live in, but it feels more like that's kind of become just an additional way to pick off some of the best kids that have one year left. But there's been other graduate transfers that have gone into uh, conferences like the Big Sky. That is true. Or the that Summit. is true as well. And they so benefited from that. I think Absolutely. it cuts both ways. That's true. I think it cuts both ways. I, I just think when it's all said and done, I think we bring student athletes here to get their undergraduate degree. Once that occurs and you have a year left, but I, my, my whole point has been you should be able to call the registrar at the institution and say, has Alex Heiner graduated? It's, the answer is simple, yes or no. If the answer is yes, free to go. If it's no, then I think there's still work to be done, and then there's some, you know, some things that occur that become difficult to kind of navigate. And so I think that if we could just put that in place, that could be helpful as we're moving forward. Interesting stuff. Because we don't think about, I think that's one of the things that doesn't get brought up a lot is that sense of not just crossing the tape with your credits, but then also having your degree in hand before you move on to your next destination. I, if that's I, just, I just think like that should be like the first thing should that should happen. Like if we're calling it a graduate transfer, yeah, you, should or post, you should actually graduated. have graduated. Yeah. Like, like why are we having a conversation about it if you haven't? Mm -hmm. That and makes so, sense. So, so to me, if we could just go down that path, I think then the rules of engagement are very clear. Then at that point, I think everybody in the country, so to speak, probably has to make choices and decisions as to when, when and if you want to redshirt student-athletes, what makes sense for your program. And you know what? You may only have a student-athlete for two or three years. That's what might happen. And so, so to me, those are just the rules of engagement. But right now, you know, we've, I, I have found myself a couple times in this it, where you're kind of in that area where you're wondering whether the student-athlete's going to graduate or not. And if that's the case, you know, awesome. I mean, if it works out, but I worry when it maybe doesn't work out. Sure. Uh, one of the things about those transfer rules, it was suggested in the spring that perhaps some of the punishment right now that's currently in place, if you do transfer as an undergraduate before you've got your degree, you know, going from a, a peer to peer institution or going from a, you know, a division two to a division one, Right now, of course, you have to sit out a season. There's that certain season sports, of punishment in certain, in certain sports. sports. There was talk of perhaps eliminating that so you could go wherever you wanted to, whether or not you had graduated or not, and not be penalized. You could play right away, immediate eligibility if you switch from one spot to the other on that same line. And that was not approved, or at least has not been officially ratified yet. I think that discussion will continue on to some degree. Um, I think a couple things. I think if that's the rules of engagement, that's the rules of engagement. So you need to adjust. I mean, I, that's all. I mean, I, if that's what it becomes, I, okay. It's the same for everyone. But I think we're going to also have to figure out kind of um, the oversight from an academic standpoint that currently we've decided that is 
part of uh, what we do on an, annu- on an annual basis, which is, you know, kind of academic progress rate. And, you know, you get, you get hurt by transfers in that regard. I think we would have to look at that in kind of, I would say, retooling how that metric works. And so I don't know. I, 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 maybe I've been in this too long to some degree. I don't get worked up about it. I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I think that it's something that we need to think about, but I do know this, that there's always repercussions on a rule that you make. And you might think it works out great here, but it might open up to, to, you know, issues in your boat over here. So you might plug it here or think it's awesome. And then all of a sudden the pressure builds up over here. So, so we'll see. I mean, I, I just think we we weren't ready for that at this point in time. I, some people would convert it a little bit to, not to make this a soccer parallel, but basically there would be a transfer window essentially is what it feels like where all of a sudden, instead of people being sort of at one club for four years or five, whatever contract you've signed now, all of a sudden every year, you've got the opportunity to shift from one place to the next, just like they do in European yeah, soccer. Yeah, and you know, and, and I- When I say some people, I say me. I, I had made that parallel. I'm sorry, just to, just to clarify know, that. Nobody else is thinking along those lines. No, but. no, no. I think, <laughs> well, no, you know what's funny? It, funny, not funny. It, it, learning that whole thing was interesting. And I was trying to get my head around it, and I'm I'm good with it now. Like, yeah. like, like my Spurs re-signed a bunch of our, our, our players, which really means not a whole lot. Not in a sense, in, in a, in, yep. in a sense, in, in, from what I'm understanding to some degree, if, if a, if a player does really want to depart to some degree, it's probably going to occur. Right. You can, you can sit out, you can force a move. But there's compensation yep. there that is. comes on the other mm-hmm. side. There and is. so if you're smart about it, I think, I don't say smart about it, but if you're a club, you have to always be thinking that I probably, there's no untouchable on my roster. Maybe if you're what? Barcelona or Real, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. If you're the best of the best, yep. But but other than that, everyone has to be thinking in terms of. I mean, I think your team had to think through. Do you lose Salah, right? Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's the thing, and that that would be it'd be the same thing in the NCAA, where like the if if you want to look at a football parallel, Alabama is not going to lose their best player every season. To something like this, they're not going to just leave, but they're at risk of losing guys sort of down the pecking order who decide, yeah, I'm not going to get my shot. I'm just going to transfer where like those middle of the road clubs will lose guys who have really excelled who want to go to. And it's the same thing in the EPL. Liverpool had to do everything they could. You don't want your best players to be too good because then the best teams, the richest teams will pick those like Harry Kane. A lot of pressure on Harry to maybe leave for Real Madrid, resign the contract, which is great. Doesn't mean he's going to stay there throughout that contract. It's like you want them to be good, but you don't want them to be so, so good, good that the other you get you attract attention. It's a weird dynamic, and I think that that sort of will look like that if these transfer rules get addressed and get passed. Whatever. And, and, the next and so then, seasons. so loop it all the way back to the graduate piece. Sure. I kind of feel like if you've graduated, and here's my piece of paper, says it. It's go. You go. You can do what you want to, do or come back. Because at the end of the day, I would say there's a, a number, if not the higher percentage, is the student athlete staying at the institution they're at. Because for a variety of reasons, you know, and, and you know, the other piece of the puzzle is, you, you know, it's, it's hard to transfer. I mean, if anybody's been out there in podcast world and has actually transferred and has nothing to do with student athlete uh, and being on a team, it's not easy. 
And so, you know, you make it kind of seem like eh, it's, it's it, you know, oh, you just go there. Well, you, there's actually humans on the other side right. that mm-hmm. actually you might be taking their spot. You you might not be as welcomed. You might only have one year to go. You might, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to a new environment. So, so there's, it's not as easy on the student athlete as you might think. And so, and then the numbers are interesting. You know, I just, I think that's where you always have to be number driven as far as, okay, where's the pressure points? Where's it, you know, where's the issues per se? And yeah, there's some high notoriety type student athletes that are in the graduate transfer space, but in the big picture, it's not a lot. That's good perspective. I think people forget maybe sometimes how a big, a, big a pool that is. When it affects yeah. you, it's the biggest thing in the world. There you go. And, and you know what? When it affects you positively, it's <laughs> awesome. Um, speaking of being affected, and probably not personally, but one of the other big rules that kind of came down across not just the NCAA, but sports in general was the gambling rules. Yep. Gambling legislation in the United States yep. has now changed where sports betting is now legal, not just in Las Vegas, but across the country. Yep. Thoughts on that? How do you see that affecting the NCAA model? You know, again, I, I, have you been across, did you, have you gone to see a game in, in, over in England at all? I have not. You no. have not. So, so, okay. So we're two guys that, that like to follow up, but we haven't seen it yet. Now, again, you can gamble right on site, right at the stadiums, I believe. Right. I mean, literally, literally about a lot of different things. Um, so someone said this to me the other day, and I thought this was fair, and I wasn't even really tracking on it. I'm, I am not a gambler per se. I mean, I'm really not. I, I mean, it just this, that's not how I roll, which is fine. I, and I don't care whether you do or you don't. That's your own personal um, deal. Where, where I think we have to be concerned about is the prop bets. Sure. I mean, that's, that's really where I think it gets, you know, the games, yeah. I, I mean, I think if you were to have, um, you know, various how should i say companies that oversee this they're going to be as uh incentivized to make sure nothing happens to the games than anyone so i think that's from from that standpoint maybe not as much of the concern i think it's the prop side of life which is kind of interesting and i i don't know what even that means at this point and so we're going to have to kind of figure this one out but i think as we speak right now what a few few states maybe i know new jersey was like ready to do they it were, they, with they, the they, second that delaware <laughs> maybe i think is in yeah play. a couple a couple in new england I but think but good. i don't think nobody has uh, nobody else has really jumped in yet but my guess is in five years from now i would say half the states probably will be in play uh when you talk about prop bets and some of those type of things. Are you kind of referring to there'll be a, a score for a certain player they have to hit or a number of three-pointer percentage? Or, I don't or know. Like, is that kind of what we're I thinking? I don't know. That- or does uh, you know, Alex Heiner wear sunglasses onto the practice field or, or onto the uh, you know, warm-up field? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Going to wear a green jersey versus a white jersey. I mean, I, th- those would be concerning to me. And I'm not sure how you would be able to necessarily control that. Not that you would be able to control it. So the problem would be basically then how do you how do you make sure that these athletes aren't being influenced by people on the outside or have inside information about what's going to happen and yeah. then find ways to you know sort of influence the system. Well, and, have you seen cheat basically? Have you seen the BC thirty for thirty? The Boston uh, no, College. No, I have not actually seen that's that. That's a pretty one. good one, and it, it, you know, they're all they're, they're those are all they're all series. very good. I mean, I like I said I you know it's a fantastic series, but I think that the one you know if you were to drill down exactly what the one sentence of that whole thirty for thirty was is 
the second you say yes, I've got you. And so, you know what? Someone said yes, and they had them. And, you know, you worry about an, an, a moment of weakness, something occurs, and then all of a sudden their life's altered forever. And so um, I don't know how that's all going to play out. I really don't. I think there's others that are, you know, trying to, you know, figure it out per se. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I've heard the case for, obviously, because now it's going to be a, a yeah. legislated thing. It's going to make money for the country. More sunshine of, yeah, on it. Which is, which is a good thing. But I've also heard the case against, too, of like, we're really not that far removed from the Arizona State point shaving scandal and Tim Donaghy in the, you know, in the NBA playoffs, like the referees being influenced by this, even yep. like there's just, I don't know. Yeah. There's some positives certainly to it because the, the, let's face facts, the dollars are being spent on it regardless. So now, you know, how can you do it in a way that again, probably is sheds more light on it and probably has a better process if you will. But you know, there are some repercussions that we have to be thinking of. Two other things we want to talk about that happened kind of in the late spring, of course, over the course of the summer. Um, more, more about basketball stuff first. You mentioned last week the Condoleezza Rice report, just talking about the NCAA and how they want to handle a variety of things, mainly with recruiting and, and with player eligibility in terms of going to the drafts. Uh, just really briefly, your thoughts about what that report said and how you think that's going to affect NCAA dealings with with college basketball in the future yeah i think you know so here's where i think i i i land today is i think the conversation continues to evolve on maybe what the landscape's going to look like moving forward because i was listening to a podcast yesterday in regards to it doug gottlieb's right and and so he always talks college basketball and he you know they, they had a good conversation back and forth and and i thought they were they were um they were good um in in suggesting that i think anything you can do to get students or student athletes information is is huge right and and getting a, a perspective of really where you fit in um and that that is that is huge i think um you know, as we as we move forward, I I, I don't know. I I think um, the trick is who are the ones the players that get identified as being able to have certain agents or not. Um, I think the kind of the whole one and done thing. I don't you know for a variety of reasons. I get it. The NBA is doing what they're doing because I'm not sure they want to be so to speak, in high school gyms either. Right. And so it's it's really kind of interesting. Uh, and, you know, the one thing I haven't heard, and I'm not suggesting that it's the case, but I haven't seen it in the, in the Rice Report at this point is, I don't know, do you go back to freshman ineligibility in that sport? I'm not suggesting that that's the case. And then I think that would have ramifications for other sports as well. But that to me, we have done that before. And if if truly you want to make an impact on certain things about, you know, whether or not a student, and maybe you get to play four again on the back end. I, I don't sure. know. More of a four and five. So now you're talking about freshman ineligibility, talking about like in the seventies with yeah, like, like Bill Walton. And that's their cream of the That was Lou kind of the reference. Lou Alcindor. Didn't, didn't play as like the, the freshman JV team. His freshman team was the best team in the country. Beat the, beat the senior team. They went undefeated that year in the early seventies. That rule though was, I mean, that's been off the books since, it's been a while. I mean, we're talking wild. early eighties. I think that was the salt, maybe even yeah. late seventies, kind of I, in that range. You know, I, I think, you know, the, 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 the kicker that's always kind of got me is this, it, we're, we're talking about the one percenters. And again, we're talking about the, 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 the ones that absolutely could make the jump. 
And and really, then it becomes a little weird again. Sure. And so, so the question then becomes, you know, how do you work that out? Because it, if, if you really didn't want to go to school and you really are one of the best in the world for one of those slots, right? 15 times 15, whatever, how many slots that is, you know, or, or excuse me, 30 times 15 slots, whatever that is, um, you know, it, 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 it's almost kind of too bad that, that, they're restricted to, to not being able to go right to the league. But I also kind of get what the NBA is doing too, because there's a maturation process right. of going to play pro ball. And, you know, even that one year, I do believe this anytime you can step foot on a, on a college campus and get higher education, even if you're there for a year, I think it can help you. Um, one of the big things about the rice report and just, just to kind of put a bow on this was that, you know, high school elite high school athletes would be able to, Basically, get advice from an agent if they have an official contact with an agent. Only a certain amount. You mentioned the top one percent. It would be like the top point oh five of the, of a percentage point determined by USA Basketball. And then if you were a freshman in college or, or above, any college athlete sort of deemed to be good enough could hire an agent, go to the draft. If you don't get drafted, you can come right back to play college the next season without any consequences. And so it seems like again, same kind of thing. Some good changes in the right direction. I think some coaches said maybe things didn't go far enough. Some of the some of the rules maybe were a good step, but is it better? Is, yeah, it, is better? it better? Is it yeah. better? And can we get keep getting better? Yeah. I think that's where we need to go. Now the tricky part's going to be you might be able to come back, but the question is, do you have your roster spot back? That's true. Yeah. Has that scholarship already been handed off to somebody? I mean, else? I you know, and that's that that's some of the things that I think we need to work through. But back to the transfer piece, then are you automatically eligible to go somewhere else because your roster spot? is taken <laughs> all these things are interconnected I mean, that's yes what's, they are that's yes, what's they so are. unique about yes. all this one of these rules and this is the last one and then we'll get into more und stuff one rule that is not interconnected with transfer rules with gambling with some of the well maybe gambling eventually i guess but overtime in college hockey uh sort of has gone off we went from um each conference basically having autonomy to decide what they wanted to do for their overtime uh the nchc to wcha mo moving into more of a hey we play the standard you yep. know, standard five-minute, five-on-five overtime yep. period. If, if it goes down as a tie, then we can do a three-on-three. -three, then we can do a shootout. All the East Coast conferences didn't have that. It was either right into a shootout or we play five-on-five, five, and then it's just a tie. And pretty much all the East Coast schools just ended in ties, and there was no extra point to be earned. The NCAA Rules Committee decided back in late spring that they were going to mandate that, hey, every conference is going to be the same. We're going to make everybody the same. No three-on-three, -three, no shootout. You play your five-on-five, -five, and then you're done. And then there was some pushback. And, mm -hmm. and it feels like in this case, the system has worked and the Western conferences kind of said, hey, this is a great thing. This is what every other league in the world does. Can we please bring back what we just had the last couple of years? And then the rules committee listened and then they've reverted back to that. And so now we're kind of back maybe where we started. But it was an interesting process. It was. It talk, was. Talk us through your yeah, perspective. So I was, uh, you know, I, I dropped in and I kind of toured the almost, maybe beginning end of the conversation, if you will. But I, I was... I was in it, but the rule had already been in or was about to be voted on, then was voted on. And so I thought that um, Josh Fenton did a nice job uh, in, uh, along with the other commissioners, uh, eventually kind of working through it. And I think the one prism that needed to be looked at, truly the only prism that really mattered to me was the fans. 
the, the fans, the, you know, you're doing this for, for fan entertainment, and, and, and we've seen that it's been awesome for our league, and it's like, eh, is that really where we want to go? I mean, is it, is it that important to have that, a, a unified way to play at the end of the game? I'm not sure you necessarily needed to do that. And so, you know, as long as you have it kind of figured out with, the, with what it means with the pairwise – at the end of it all, let conferences do what they want to do. And so I was, I was actually kind of uh, happy that we've, we, we kind of refer, and you know, that's part of the process. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know what? And we, I I tell you this, I can tell you this, the rules committee, they will pause the next time (laughs) they were go forward with some things because they probably didn't realize the blowback that was going to come. And, but, and I say that it it was good blowback. I mean, it was good. Hey, look, it's not a, it's not broken out here and you might've just kind of broken it for us. So, so I appreciate the rules committee um, rethinking that and the NCAA um, doing that as well. The NCHC released a great video of some of the best moments in three-on-three action over the last two years, just on, just online, right after that vote took place when they said they could bring it back. And it really was fun to see against Shane Gersuch's backhand goal against Denver. And some of, the other, some of the great moments that have happened in the league have happened in three-on-three. Exciting moments for the fans to finish a game on a high instead of just ending in a tie. Well, you call games. What do you, what do you, what do you I like? I mean, I was uh, not, not devastated. It's not the right word. We were disappointed you were when sad. the initial ruling came down. <laughs> I was a little sad because it is. It's wide open. It's exciting. You get a conclusion. And that that's you know again we love soccer so ties are just a part of life but if you you have a better way to finish without a tie use that way and, and this three on three is a great way to finish with a goal on the ice I, I don't know I loved it I mean three on three is exciting fun hockey to watch and I'm glad they brought it back yeah so it was at the end of it all I know the coaches for sure in our league wanted it yes. and and they were you know and I <laughs> To a person, I bet you if we went and in, in, in interviewed every student athlete, they would have wanted it. So you're talking, the fans want it, student athletes want it, the coaches want it. And so, you know what, let's go down that path. <laughs> so that's, uh, that is now in place again for this season. So you and the hockey fans, rest assured, three on three, back in the mix for the 2018-19 season. Which is great. And again, hockey not too far off practices, unofficial captain's practices going on right now. They'll start their season up again early October, October the 6th, with an exhibition game against Manitoba. A couple of teams getting started this week, very soon. UND Volleyball opened up practice last week at midnight. That's a fun little quirk that Mark Pryor likes to put out there. Yeah, that, well, I guess he ended up a couple of years ago, was kind of the first on the court and wanted to be last be off last. the court. So it's kind of a neat little deal. And then uh, it worked out okay. And then funny the way we are in sports, it happened again. And so, you know what? So you play it, you play it again. Absolutely. They've won, again, two Big Sky Championships back-to-back. Well, after opening practice at midnight, we're going to see how it works in the Summit League coming up. And volleyball, just to touch on this quickly, their official preseason polls have not come out yet in the Summit League of, of who's going to finish where. But different publications have picked UND to win that conference in their first year. A lot of different faces on that volleyball team. But Mark, who, by the way, does... Uh, what's called Pryor's Perspective, a little blog that he, he typically does sort of throughout the season. He had his first installment on UND Sport, sorry, FightingHawkSports.com the other day. And he talked about the intensity of this group. There's only a couple of starters back. They graduated five kids who were fantastic and kind of legends in the program over the last two years. Um, but he just mentioned how this, this new group is just so intense. I think piranhas on a pork chop, I think, was the actual quote from Mark, which is not too surprising given... Mark Pryor knows knows how to spin a quote or two, but um, 
it's it's going to be an exciting season, I think, because there are some unknowns, but you've got a bunch of kids that just want to compete and are fighting for spots and really think they can step in and keep this great tradition going in year five of the prior era. Yeah, you know, in, in the last two years, it, because it probably felt like one big long year in a sense and then all of a sudden you hit a reset with some of your roster and then then you're right you have a different energy um, different roles are occurring and then add into the fact now it's a different conference and so you add all those in it it should be exciting I think uh, they're gonna be a lot of fun to watch this year UND will open up the regular season in Lubbock Texas August 20 the 4th they'll take on Rice and Texas Tech and an invitational there then they move down, down the road, up the road. My Texas geography is not great, but they're going to Fort Worth two days later. Across. Across. There you go. <laughs> on August 26th to take on Wisconsin Green Bay and TCU, their first home games, UND Classic, coming up August 30th and 31st. So a good chance to see that team in person before this month right. is over. Right. Tuesday, uh, green and white scrimmage that, and at that's 7 right. o'clock, right? Yes, sir. On the 21st. So, uh, so if you want to make it on out to see uh, – and I think it's a little uh, – It's how should I say this um, – it's a good way for um, our, our team to get their feet wet in front of some folks, and uh, but I think you'll probably see a lot of mixing and matching going on. Yeah, that scrimmage game has been a lot of fun the last couple of years. And again, if you if you like just entertainment, this is such an entertaining team. And even though it'll be different this year, kids like Jordan Dale and Ashley Bergerman, who were all conference kids a year ago, are back and are just like high high flying, intense yep. kids up at the net. And Olivia Frazee, who's a local kid from Fargo, is back as a defensive specialist. And they, they just have they just have a fun energy exuberance about them. It's just a fun group. And so again, that scrimmage a great chance to get your first look at some of these kids, kids coming in from Yukon and from Finland and kind of from all over the world, a part of this team for 2018-19. Um, soccer getting underway as well. They've been practicing now for a couple of weeks. A couple of big exhibition wins for them. And, and you don't want to read too much into it, but beat Manitoba 5-1 to one the other day over at East Grand Forks and then beat USD 2-1 to one in, in a game that Chris Logan said maybe we were outplayed at times, but we found a way to get a result. And that was something last year, I think against some of the league opposition, I think they outplayed a lot of those teams that they played in the non-conference. But against South Dakota, they lost one nothing in a game they dominated last season here in Grand Forks. Even though it's exhibition, Nice two to one win against a conference rival. That makes you feel good moving it, into it, the season. It does, don't doesn't it? I mean, and and I think that the good news is uh, scoring seven goals uh, gives you just a feel that you're finding the back of the net, and that's a that's a big deal. And so, as we head toward uh, Friday, we open at Nichols State uh, in, down in Louisiana, and then and then go to Southern on uh, on Sunday. So so I think the team's probably feeling good about themselves, but I appreciated the honesty from uh, Coach Logan as well, too. You know, I mean, I think if, funny soccer has that kind of way, they're, ver they're vernacular. And I think, you know, as he said, you know, at times, like you said, we were second best on, on, the, on, on the pitch, if you will, but, but sometimes that scoreboard can be funny. In the Manitoba game, the first exhibition game, again, being played over at East Grand Forks at the high school because Bronson Field is getting new turf, which looks great, by the way. Green, lush, coming in well. They start the game, and Chris Logan had said, you know, they, they kick off. So, again, if you're not familiar with soccer, you, you just start with the kickoff. You're in the center circle. One player passes it to another, and you're off. Coach Logan tells Katie Mahler, who was one of the leading goal scorers in the Big Sky last year, it's like, just, just take it and go score. Just go weave through the defense and go score. And she does just that. She scores eight seconds into the game off the opening kick. That's not a bad way to start your season. If it's that simple. You know, <laughs> that is crazy. Who that needs, is crazy. Who needs all these X's and O's? Just go score. Yeah, just, just, just go put score. In the back of the net. So good things there again. She's back. An outstanding supporting cast coming back for the University of North Dakota. They were picked to finish fifth in the nine team Summit League after a great season last year in the Big Sky. Uh, and again, like you said, going to Louisiana, you talk about hot and humid. 
I don't Louisiana at the end of August is probably going to test them physically out there. Well, and again, some of the heat that we've had here probably has been helpful, uh, you know, and then playing in East Grand Forks. And thank you to East Grand Forks High School for allowing us uh, to, to play there. That is just a huge deal. Uh, being on the turf um, can yeah. be hot. Yep, and so, uh, so hopefully that will help us uh, down in Louisiana. Football practice 14 today on Tuesday. Full pads has been going on for about a week and a half now. They have a live scrimmage coming up tomorrow. First chance to really see, you know, the ones going against the ones and the twos going against the twos in live action over a course of, you know, several series. Football practice has been fun. We've been out there a lot. Mitchco Sports Network is doing uh, kind of a series this year throughout the season um, called Day by Day, which is fitting because that's the that's the slogan for the team. But uh, so we've been out there quite a bit, filming stuff, getting sounds, uh, getting some cool behind the scenes stuff. But when you watch this team with a lot of familiar faces, but then some new faces as well stepping in, it feels like that. They're ready. They're ready to go for that opener on August 30th, which is not that far away. Yeah, I, what I what I've kind of uh, you know taken from 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 the team, from the guys at this point, even the coaches, just a sour, probably sour taste in their mouth a little bit from last year. You know, you you come back and um, you know you you're you're certainly picked to to do well, but a lot of that had predicated on the year before and uh um and, you know that's always tough it's never easy when you have a tough year and so uh so i think there's a, a lot to quote unquote prove if you will so uh probably for them um the 30th can't come soon enough yeah i think so i think for a lot of people as well a lot of fans of this team excited to see who the quarterback's going to be how this team gels together and they will, they will get their chance to see them at home first home opener in a while on a Thursday night. Again, game you can see at the Alara Center or on Midco Sports Network against Mississippi Valley State of, of the Jerry Rice ilk yeah, coming up in a couple weeks. You know, it's always uh, kind of neat playing on the Thursday night prior to, to, to Labor Day and before uh, before the um, all the games that will kick off uh, on that, especially that Saturday. I know there'll be some on that Thursday and Friday as well. But then that gets us, uh, you know, hopefully we can, uh, you know, get – get Mississippi Valley in here. And I know, you know, again, game one's always tough because everyone's zero and zero and everyone's looking, you know, to, to get to one and oh, um, but, uh, but it, that'll get us going. And if we can pack the Alaris, uh, that would be uh, an awesome, awesome thing. A lot more football talk to come in the yes. weeks ahead on the Bill Chaves podcast. Right now we're going to transition from the A side to the B side. And Bill, if you caught last week's episode, David Folsky knew that Bill was from New England somewhere. Red Sox fan from from Connecticut, right around that area. Um, I was in, kind of in Bill's old stopping grounds this past weekend. The reason why we're taping this on a Tuesday instead of a Monday was I was making my way back with my family from a wedding this weekend. Um, my mom is from Boston. Cousin was getting married. It was a big deal. It was fun. We had, we had a good time out in New England. And uh, didn't get to a Red Sox game because they weren't in town, but had a chance to listen on WEEI and, and watch on Nesson them sweep the Orioles. Sox have now won nine of their last 10 and are on pace to win 140. 14 games, I think. Still, there are 50 games over 500. 50. It's ridiculous. 50. This is ridiculous stuff, 50. Bill. I, it is. I, you know, you said last week, what was the bigger deal? Uh, you know, and part of my answer was, you know, the 78 season was tough. Um, you know, won a lot of games and then lost in a one-gamer to the, the Yankees. Buc- the Buc- Buc- yeah, you know, and, and probably you could arguably say those two teams for sure were, were one and two that year. You just got bumped in a, in a playoff game. And so basically that was the World Series in a one-game playoff. And then, uh, you know, so you just don't know how it's all going to play itself out. But this team has been just phenomenal, really. I, I just, uh, you know, it looks like they're having fun. The the one thing you can, you can say is, and sometimes, you know, you don't – sometimes – it doesn't seem as if the coach or manager 
is pulling all the right strings or, or the difference that you can make. But Alex Cora has been unbelievable. And, you know, the, it's a difference between what someone, I guess, probably values and what they've been doing. But, but that team's playing free and easy. Yeah, it's amazing what a difference. And again, John Farrell was, you know, brought, helped bring them a World Series did. in 2013. They did. And, and you got to have a ton of respect for that. Huge. But sometimes you just need a new voice. And Alex Cora has provided that to a locker room of guys that are really, again, playing some of their best baseball in their careers this season, despite, again, some of their guys, main guys, Dustin Pedroia, other people being hurt for large swaths of time. No doubt. They've overcome those and things. And J.D. Martinez has been unbelievable. I, I mean, that guy, I, I just, uh, his his strength to uh, right center is unbelievable. I mean, uh, I think Eckersley said it the other day. It feels like every time he hits a fly ball, I, I'm shocked if it ever gets caught. I mean, it just feels like it's going out. I had a fun conversation with my brother Paul and my uncle Bill, Bill Finnerty. Great, great, uh, great mustache on Bill. Uh, we were watching the Sox Orioles game on Sunday. <laughs> Bill getting a shout out. I love Uncle Bill. He's the best. I have two Uncle Bills, and they're both fantastic. But uh, Uncle Bill was like, "Who's who's the Sox MVP this year? Who would you give it to?" And I'm curious. Bill Chaves, not my not my Uncle Bill. Who who would you be your MVP this season? Yeah, so far? you know, and, and the the easy answer, right, is, is uh, either JD Martinez or Mookie Betts, and uh, and you know, and part of me says it's really a three person race with Chris Sale, and so I don't know, I I you know probably um, you know Betts has been so good. Um, but I probably, for, for the team itself, I think it's, it's unfair because Martinez filled a void that needed to be filled. And so it's almost like he gets the benefit of fill, filling that Ortiz role to that, to that level. But um, if I had a vote, I probably would go Betts one. Probably. Yeah. And this is why Bill and I get along, because that was the exact same argument that I made to my Uncle Bill, that I think Mookie, if you wanted to look at it from a holistic perspective, Betts is probably the best player in the league right now. Probably. He's probably your league MVP. JD, though, for this team, for what he's added, what they needed, he's probably been the team MVP of the season. And if it was vice versa, it, Betts would get the, you know, he, he they'd say they needed that energizer. They needed the guy at the front of the, all that type of stuff. But it, they've been just damaging pitching i mean it's the games are never over they, they feel like they're just never over and so we'll see the game on friday night and this is this is our last red Sox thing just so so hang in there for us fans on friday night uh i was going to the rehearsal dinner uh for my cousin julie's wedding and we were listening to the game and they're playing the orioles on the radio and it's eight i think eight to five at this point in the time in the top of the sixth inning and we we uh we're driving away and and like you know Things just start happening, and all of a sudden, and my, my, my 10-month-old daughter is kind of crying in the backseat as my brother and I are driving, and my wife's trying to calm her down, and we're trying to listen, and you're like, ah, is it a home run? What's, what's going on? And all of a sudden, like, there was like, a lull in the crying, and it's like 11 to 8. And it was like, I mean, six runs like that. I mean, that's, it's unbelievable what this team can do offensively. But. It is. I mean, and again, it's all going to come down to pitching when it's all said and done. Yeah, it always does yep. this time of year. So yep. I, was in, I was in New England for four days. Um, Chaves faves. Mm -hmm. I, what, what are your like favorite things to do in New England? Like, what are some must-do things? If people are going to go visit that part of the world, what would you say? Favorite things, James yeah, Spades, New England. I, you know, I, I'd say broadly, the, the good news is you, you can just drive, right? I mean, you can hit various things. I think, you know, you, Boston's very walkable. So the, the city itself is, uh, you know, there's just so much history that, you, you know, you can just literally, you know, get on a tee and go do what you got to do. And it's in the city's very walkable. So to me, obviously Boston is right there. Cape Cod, you go to Cape Cod. I mean, if you're and really anytime during, during the year, it, it has its, its, its neat 
parts of, of uh, you know, less people in the winter, although the winter is a fun time to be on the Cape. And so, um, but obviously the summer is bustling and, you know, you can go to either Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket from there, which is awesome. And, you know, you can go up north to like Burlington, Vermont, and Burlington's a gorgeous portion, uh, part of the uh, uh, country. And obviously right connected to or close to uh, Montreal about an hour and a half away and then finally you know you get the Rhode Island coast and and you can go to the beaches there so so all of those probably those are probably the things you just roll right off my tongue yeah great it's, it's that's the fun thing I think because you said all those things are, are close to each other they are so you can do multiple things you know, and I on that list and I didn't trip. say anything about Connecticut because I kind of grew up in Connecticut so it's like you know those are the places you'd go if you lived in Connecticut and there, you know there's a coastline down in the Connecticut uh, you know portion um, a southern part of the state, which is really beautiful. And I think the one thing, you know, I'll leave you with it, if people haven't been there, and the Berkshires are beautiful in western part of Massachusetts heading toward New York. And I'm not sure people would realize how much lush, like just trees and, and, and what, and kind of just New England's kind of interesting. I'm kind of left out in New Hampshire and Maine, but they have their, uh, um, their great, um, you know, things about them as well. So it's awesome. The Berkshires, dreamlike. Yes. According to James Taylor at times. It's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, you go to, yeah, you go to a James Taylor concert, which I've never done in the Berkshires in the summer. It's, it's, it's fascinating. We got to see James, uh, 2003 Democratic National Convention. It was in Boston. And, yeah. And Boston is a very, you know, Boston, it, there's so many people crammed into a tight space and then they added a bunch more people for the Democratic National yes. Convention. And People are just people were ready for that to be over, and we were we were just we were out there for two weeks, and so they, the city threw a big party basically on the, at, the, at the harbor and had brought in different different artists and had fireworks just to sort of like hey free concert thanks for putting up with all these extra people in our city for a month, and James played an outdoor concert and it's fireworks awesome. were going off. It was unbelievable. One of the one of the best things that's uh, that I, best certainly the best concert that I've seen live. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yep. Uh, switching gears. Love, love. We could talk about this for a long time, but um, it was it was final thing on the B side. EPL opening weekend, English Premier League got kicked off this past weekend. Both our teams won. Spurs a two one win at St James Park over Newcastle. Uh, Liverpool a four nothing win over West Ham. Top of the table, all the, all the, all that good stuff. Give me your just your quick your thirty seconds on what you saw from Riccio Pochettino and the Spurs in the opening weekend. Well, I I, I think uh, I loved Eric Dyer. I don't know if you read his quotes yesterday. I would I, I need to uh, I need to go just listen to him because it was just great. He says much ado about nothing in this whole transfer window thing. He says we've got a number of young guys that you'd have to not that it we couldn't use another player potentially, but we have a number of guys that continue to get better and we actually do like each other and we do actually want to continue going on with this team. Having said that, I always worry about opening opening weekend in every sport. And that's what I, I refer to it to Mississippi Valley coming in when you're zero and zero, you know, there's a different mindset. People come in and they want to kind of shock the world. They want to do things, you know, I worried about that match on the road. That was the one thing, you know, you get three points on the road in the EPL. I don't care who you are. So, I mean, I know other t- teams might have won, say, 4-0, <laughs> but that was at home. I mean, I, I mean, at the end of the day, when you get road wins, those are gold. One of the good things for Tottenham, I think, and you mentioned that, like, tough to go on the road, and they, and they didn't do anything. We talked earlier about the transfer window over the course of the summer. You can buy and sell anybody a contract or not as long as the player wants to come spurs were the only team in the league 20 teams in the english premier league only team that didn't do anything nothing and but but like you said the they were confident with the squad they had and they were playing a team in newcastle 
they really didn't do much. They really hadn't done anything either. And their manager was kind of disgruntled. So you kind of, you played a team that was maybe ripe for the picking, even though they were playing at home. I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm sorry. This is, a, this is still a nice victory. No. I, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm like talking down. No, though. no, it's okay. I, I think the other thing I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, the other thing I, I wasn't tracking on, and this is real, is they've been leveraged a little bit by the stadium. And, that's, and again, that's true. And yeah. again, listen to Pochettino a little bit over the weekend. He said, you know, the whole Brexit thing, it increased the, 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 the price to that whole stadium. And it's over, I think, a billion dollars at this point in time. And so part of maybe not leveraging with a player to, I worry about this. Someone comes in, who really is going to come in, take whose spot, and what's the delta between the guy that could be starting and the guy that you get? I don't know. I don't know. And so I think they just they hit a pause button right now. What do we have? A January window too? Yeah, but January. You have a whole month. Whole month in the winter to address a those things. January window. It's all good. <laughs> I you know, I like the uniqueness that we were the only team that didn't do anything. I love that. I mean, if that's what you got on us right now, good for you. Right. One and all. One and all. That's all I know. <laughs> Three points in the bank for Tottenham and Bill Chaves. So good stuff. Uh, well, Thanks for humoring us, as it's always. It's all good. It's, it's all, all good. good. Love the B-side. Uh, any final thoughts, Bill? Episode number two? No. Obviously, uh, we kick it off for real on uh, Friday, Sunday with women's soccer. So we, we're going to get some uh, real, if we say, real results coming in. And so, uh, you know, I know our coaches, our student athletes, they've been working really, really hard. Staff has been working incredibly hard. Um, to make this season as good as it can be for all of our fans. So appreciate everybody that does come and support us. And uh, again, we appreciate it. I know our student athletes uh, appreciate it and appreciate it. If you've hung on this long in the pod, I appreciate you as well. <laughs> Fall sports officially underway this weekend in Louisiana for women's soccer. Be sure to stay tuned, fightinghawks.com and all your other UND outlets to get information on what's going on with all of our teams that are underway this weekend. Big thanks, of course, as always, to Bill Chaves, the namesake of this podcast, to David Folsky, our producer. I'm Alex Heinert of Midco Sports Network. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.